The Live with Squacky podcast is sponsored in part by Mid-Atlantic VoiceOver and Antland Productions. I'm so excited to be hosting and organizing our first fully online conference for Mid-Atlantic VoiceOver LLC. This great voiceover event will take place on November 6th through 8th, 2020, and it will include over 18 hours of exclusive Mavo content with keynote speaker Eric Bauza and an extraordinarily talented lineup of guest speakers, including Uncle Roy Yokelson, Tom Deere, Johnny Heller, J. Michael Collins, Mike Lenz, Ever Oliver, and Mark Scott, just to name a few. You definitely won't want to miss this. And because it's online, you can attend from anywhere in the world without even leaving your house. How great is that? Don't delay. Register today to get your ticket at the best price available. Visit www.midatlanticvo.com for more details and to register today. I hope to see you there. It's time for part one of my interview with Tom Deere. The H is silent, but he's not. How much do you know about the business side of voiceover? Do you know how to pay quarterly taxes? How much time do you spend marketing yourself each day? Have you spent time setting goals for yourself that are attainable? I'm your host, Val Kelly, otherwise known as Squacky Voice. And today on Live with Squacky, my special guest is Tom Deere. Tom has narrated thousands of voiceover projects in just about every genre, like commercials, video games, cartoons, explainers, corporate, e-learning, medical narration, audiobooks, and more. In addition to being an incredibly talented voice actor, Tom is a voiceover business and marketing consultant who can help you navigate the maze that is the voiceover industry. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on my show today, Tom. Thank you for having me, Val. Of course. Well, the business side of voiceover can be really overwhelming. What are some tips you can offer to voice actors who feel a bit unsure of themselves when it comes to this part of the industry? Yeah, this is the tough part. A lot of voice talents don't realize that if they want to be the artist inside the booth, they need to be the business outside of the booth. So the biggest tip I can offer is educate yourself. Educate yourself on the voiceover industry. It's not just about having a pretty, pretty voice. There's so much more to it, especially now in the 21st century. Learn how to think like a voiceover business. All of our lives, we've been trained how to think like an employee, and then we get into voiceovers, and then we think we need to think like a starving artist, and neither of those will serve you. Learn how to think like a business. Businesses think about money, for example, how to save it, how to spend it, how to invest it differently than employees do. Developing effective systems of thought is the best way to set yourself up for success to be an effective voiceover business. I think so many people have trouble with this part of it because it can be, like I said, really overwhelming. So those are all really good words of advice for people to follow. What are some strategies you can offer for setting realistic, attainable voiceover goals? The first thing I think you need to figure out is determine what exactly success looks like for you because success can have different definitions or interpretations, because a lot of people come into the voiceover industry wanting to do cartoons or video games. And those are great. I love doing them. You love doing them. They're so much fun. But okay, I want to talk for money. Okay, that's nice. What does that mean? What's the practical application of that? So when I say, what does success look like for you? I mean, what does it look like for you in genre-wise? 
as in commercials, cartoons, video games, audiobooks, medical narrations, explainers, whatever, which genres do you want to master and excel in? The revenue, how much money do you think you can realistically make and how much do you think you can realistically spend in your voiceover business in any given period of time? And what do you want the logistics of your life to look like? Do you want to be full-time, part-time? Do you want to do this just for grocery money? All of those are perfectly valid. How much are you going to record from home? How much are you going to record at a remote studio? If you want to do cartoons and video games full-time, do you need to pack your bags and move to L.A., for example? So figure out those three things, genre, cash flow, and logistics. What does a successful voiceover business look like to you? Walk all of that backwards. In other words, okay, what does the day look like when I have arrived? What I define as success. What does the day before that look like? What does the day before that look like? And keep walking it backwards until the moment that you're sitting at your desk right now thinking about it and write all of that stuff down. And it will be challenging and daunting and really will make you take an objective, hard look at yourself and what you really want. That's what businesses do. IBM doesn't all sleep in the same bed and wake up in the morning and go, hey, everybody, let's make some computers. And everybody runs downstairs and bangs and makes computers. No, they come up with designs and plans and they have meetings and they have evaluations and evaluate their resources and all those other things. So it goes back to thinking and executing like an effective business. So it's a lot of strategic planning then, yeah? Oh, yeah. It's all strategy and tactics. Strategy is what is the overall plan? And then tactics are what are the little things you need to do here and there to realize your strategy. So, yeah, it's very strategic. It's something I'm constantly working on and trying to improve. So I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that are having the same battle of trying to kind of, you know, come up with new strategies and goals and things like that. I don't think anyone ever really gets to a point where they're like, oh, I'm totally sad. I can stop working now. It's always a constant. I have to keep strategizing and working to stay relevant, right? Absolutely. I know that paying quarterly taxes is something that most voice actors need to do. I'm sure we could have a session completely dedicated to this topic, but what are some brief guidelines that voice actors need to consider when it comes to quarterly taxes and staying organized? That's a big one. The first thing I'd say is get a living, breathing CPA and a CPA who, if not works with actors and voice actors, but at least someone that works with people who are self-employed, who operates as a sole proprietor, or even as, you know, even if they have a C-corp or an S-corp or an LLC, working with a CPA that understands what that means, because there's a big difference between being an employee and being a freelancer. Schedule, you know, Schedule A versus Schedule C, 1099s versus W-9s and W-2s and all that stuff. So get a CPA who is versed in that area so they can help you organize your business, at least on a financial level. Once you get that going, you need to track your revenue. This is really important. This is what businesses do. I use a spreadsheet. I've just been transitioning to Wave Apps. You know, there's Quicken and QuickBooks and FreshBooks and a whole bunch of other ones that you can use because a business tracks their revenue. The other thing you should do is notice how much you owed in taxes or how much you paid in taxes last year coordinate that with your CPA, and then your CPA can, with that number, help you figure out how much you should pay every quarter. My CPA actually literally prints coupons with self-addressed envelopes. Actually, it's digital now. For the first year, I'm paying federal and state taxes both online, which is like really nice. The reason you want to do this, if you're wondering why should I pay quarterly estimated taxes, is so you don't have to 
pay up everything at the end of the year. Because if you're a sole proprietor or even if you're uh, corporate and you get 1099s, that means when you got paid to do that voiceover, they didn't withhold any taxes. So that means you are responsible for determining how much tax you need to pay based on that income. So if you save it all till the end and you got paid on nothing but 1099s, you could be paying a considerable amount of money when it comes to file your taxes. So this just makes it easier on you by spreading it out throughout the year instead of paying it all in one shot. Oh, I also recommend getting a savings account. So every time you do get paid for a voiceover gig, you allocate whatever number is appropriate for you based on you and your CPA figuring out 25%, 30%, whatever. Put that in a savings account so we can accrue interest. And also, so you're not spending it because that's not your money. That's money that you need to pay the IRS. So... Was that like 19 tips? I could... <laughs> That's a lot of great tips right there and so helpful. I made the mistake one time of not paying quarterly taxes when I needed to. And I got hit so hard at the end of the year. It was like, yikes, <laughs> I'll never make that mistake again. And so my CPA was like, okay, Val, so... I'll see you right before the end of next quarter and we'll get this taken care of. And if, you know, if you're not making a profit, you don't really have to worry about it so much. But Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you only have to make that mistake really one time before you go, okay, I don't want that to ever happen again. So I just didn't know. I didn't understand it. So I think a lot of people don't. And so that's why I wanted you to kind of explain it so the people are in the know of what they have to do with that. I made that mistake also, like you. Once. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all it takes, right? Hopefully it only oh, takes yeah. one time to go oh, yeah. like, I owe how much? Oh my yeah. god! Especially when your your eyeballs pop out and you have to go under your CPA's desk to find them. Yeah, that was uh, illuminating. Yeah, she was like, keep all of your papers. Even because for mm-hmm. me, a lot of what it is with Mid-Atlantic VoiceOver is a portion of the year where I make on paper making a profit. Mm-hmm. In reality, I'm not usually... It's tricky. Okay, switching gears a little bit. Given the choice, do you prefer coffee, tea, or another beverage? I am a tea man myself. I drink tea pretty much every day. And uh, my wife was born and raised in Hawaii, so she knows about all these crazy kinds of tea. So we've been enjoying a pineapple tea lately. Yeah, I just love tea. And Coca-Cola, which I drink rarely, you know, just because it's so bad for you, but it's so tasty. Sounds good. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Well, if you're not aware, Val, I'm a big comic book fan. And uh, I produce a comic book, as a matter of fact, Agent 122. So there's a lot of things. You know, there's the classic thing, you know, people are asked, so if you had a choice, what would you want, flight or invisibility? And the joke is everyone says flight because that's the proper thing, but everybody really wants invisibility. (laughs) So they can listen in on conversations and maybe do other naughty things. But anyway, so I'm going to give like a really drooly nerd answer to this one. There's a particular character called Firestorm. If you watch the uh, Flash, Arrowverse, Legends of Tomorrow, for a while he was one of the characters on there. And what he can do is he can, God, this is going to sound horrible. He can like realign the molecular composition of any object. So if there's a rock sitting there, he can go zap and he can turn it into a petunia or a candy bar or whatever. So I would want that one if for no other reason. So I can just point at my garbage can and just turn it into a pile of Reese's peanut butter cups and just be done with it. So there you go. (laughs) That sounds great, actually. I love that. 
That's a really good <laughs> one. Because I'm intrinsically lazy, so I would want to use a power that makes sure I don't have to get off the couch as little as possible. <laughs> I think everyone says fly that I've talked to mostly because people don't want to be stuck in traffic. Like, I think I would want to fly just because of that. I wouldn't want to be stuck in traffic. But I have vertigo, so that's off the table for me. Oh, got it. Yeah, but yours is better. <laughs> I might change mine, yeah, down the road a little hey. bit. What's your favorite travel destination? Like I said, my wife was born and raised in Hawaii, so we go there regularly, and I love it there. It's amazing. I love going to Las Vegas. It's fun. I love playing with the slots, which a friend of mine said, just think of it as an expensive video game. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that means I don't cry as much when I lose my money. But you know what? It's weird. My favorite travel destination, I know this isn't in the spirit of it, but it's New Jersey. The reason why is, well, it's home. I mean, I live here in Manhattan and I love it. I love living in Manhattan, but New Jersey is home. My friends are there. My family is there. There are great restaurants there. There's the Jersey Shore. There's the Pine Barrens. There's skiing. There's water parks. There's theater. It's actually really an amazing, underrated state. And I'm there sometimes once a week, once every other week, depending on what's going on. You know, I got to help my mom out or I got to go see some friends or uh, Marnie and I love hiking. When I say Marnie and I love hiking, I mean Marnie loves hiking and I go hiking with her. <laughs> There's actually a shocking amount of great hiking trails. So, I mean, yeah, the cliche Vegas, Hawaii, great, true. But I really love going home to New Jersey. That's a good answer. I mean, home is always a great place to go. So that mm -hmm. makes sense. What have some of your biggest successes in your voiceover career been so far? Doing it at all. <laughs> I do... A lot of non-broadcast stuff. I do a lot of e-learning and explainers and corporate and internal stuff. So more than half of the voiceover work I do in any given year, so little of it is front-facing, as in it's not a commercial. But yes, I've done national commercials. And most of the time, it's not a video game. And yes, I did Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2 as in the cast of thousands, literally. I like to say that in 50 cents, I'll get you a phone call. Not to try to diminish getting those or doing those, because those are amazing. And those are things that people dream of. My biggest success in my VO career is finding stable, consistent, decent paying clients. Because I like to eat. I have this bad habit. And I'm up to like three times a day. Uh, <laughs> so to eat, I need money. And the way I like to make money is by doing voiceovers. And just the way that my voiceover career has gone, I don't know if I'm ever going to be in a Pixar movie or be the main character in like Halo or do a Class A national campaign. That just doesn't seem to be where my career is. And that's perfectly fine. I'm so fine with that. But I have a dozen, 15, I don't know how many regular clients that reach out to me anywhere between once a week to once a month to once a quarter. And if you have a dozen of those, you've got a voiceover career. Finding my place in the voiceover industry, understanding my relationship to the voiceover industry, and being realistic about my talent level, my voice, because I don't consider myself a particularly talented voice talent. I don't have these mellifluous tones. I don't have an awesome, unique voice like you. I just sound like a guy. But that makes me eligible for a lot of work. Yeah, my biggest success is just being a working consistent working voice actor. That is really great. And you are really talented. And you're lucky that you have a voice actually that's like that because you can book a lot of different genres of work. So think of it that way. If someone like me who has a unique voice, it kind of reduces the amount of things that I can do with it. So it has to be something very particular for them to want my voice. And that's why I had to start my own show. <laughs> 
Did you just give me a pep talk? Is that what just happened now? I did. I just gave you a pep talk. And it's true, though. I think it's important (laughs) to get a pep talk from people sometimes, right? (laughs) Oh, shucks. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Have you ever done any accent work? And if you have, did you enjoy it? Uh, Yes, I've done lots of accent work over the years, primarily with audiobooks. Accents are fun. I enjoy doing them. I am no PJ Oakland, who is, you know, like this master, but, you know, there's a couple I can do pretty well. There's a couple that I just can't do. Like, for example, Australian. For some reason, I just have a mind block. I can't do Australian. I don't know why. I've done a lot of British. I've done Irish, Scottish, Russian, some German, a little, some Italian, a little bit here and there, mostly in audiobooks. And it is so much fun, but I'm always a little paranoid that I am not serving the dialect. But here's the thing. If you get too authentic with your accent, they're not going to understand you. And you're also going to be so obsessed with getting your accent right, you're not focusing on your act. There has to be a but balance. Don't be the lucky char- right, but don't be the lucky charms guy when you're doing it either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or the, you know, the Outback Steakhouse commercial guy. You know, right. you can't do that either. You got to find somewhere in the middle where they notice the accent, but it doesn't overwhelm the performance. But yeah, I love it. It's a thrill. I find a lot of times when I get auditions that ask for an accent, they ask for an actual authentic accent. Well, they think they want an authentic accent. And then when they hear it, they're like, I can't understand a word this person is saying. I do an indication of an accent. Find what are the major differences between the accent you have, which I'm assuming is standard American or some regionalism, and, you know, the difference usually with placement, physical placement, lips, teeth, tongue, elongating, rounding, or the opposite. Just find what are those major points that makes the biggest distinction between your dialect and the dialect they're asking you to do. And if you can just kind of hit those notes, in general, you're going to be fine. And if they want somebody with an authentic accent, they don't want you. They want an actual Brit or an actual Irish person or someone who speaks Portuguese or whatever. Right. That's what I was going to say is that do you do those auditions if you get them that say it needs to be an authentic British accent? I can do a British accent. I've taken coaching on it. But am I going to book it over someone who is actually British? Probably not. So sometimes I do them and sometimes I don't. If it says authentic, I avoid it because like you said, with your voice, you you're limited in the roles that you can get. So are our UK friends that are working or living, you know, in the American market. We're taking opportunities away from them. So yeah, my British accents are pretty good. I try not to do that. And I'm sure you've noticed over the past few years that they're looking for more genuine, more authenticity with the dialects and the gender and the race and how do you identify. We should all be more sensitive to that and just not take away work from somebody that is that. What's the first voiceover job you ever booked? Oh, this is famous. The first voiceover job I ever booked, when I say famous is in, I get asked this question a lot. My very first voiceover was a public service announcement for genital herpes awareness. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Nice. Yes. Yes, it was. It was thrilling and terrifying. I remember the day I got the phone call and, you know, I lost my mind and came here into New York City when I was still living in New Jersey and did the gig and I had no idea what I was doing. What a way to start, you know? That's funny. Who would you love to interview one day? I'm going to break that down into voiceover and non-voiceover. Voiceover, I would say John DiMaggio. I'm probably biased because I just watched I Know That Voice. Oh, uh, yeah. The documentary. (laughs) Yeah. And he co-produced it. And I'm a huge fan of Futurama. And he seems like a maniac in the best sense of the word. He would just probably be so much fun. I mean, he sounds like he's a wild man. And he kind of is in his own charming way. But he's a very disciplined voice actor. Because that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. 
Talent is not enough. Talent is overrated. Technique is critical. And if you listen to John DiMaggio, does he have a, he's like, whoa, wow, his voice is so good. I mean, is it? He's a great actor and he knows how to manipulate his voice. That is the instrument. So just to kind of talk to him on both a technical level and understanding the industry and a performance level and just talk to him as a human, I just think would be a blast. Non-VO, Tom Hanks, he just seems like a really good human and he's always fun in his interviews. He always seems like he's thrilled to be there. And again, you just learn so much from him and about him. They're both really great actors, so that either one yes. would be fantastic to interview. Right. And when I interview people, I am extraordinarily selfish. I only ask questions because I want to learn stuff so I can use it and make more money because I am dead inside. That's how I operate. <laughs> What's one thing you wish you knew in high school? Anything. Just anything about <laughs> anything. The length and the breadth of things that I did not know in high school could stun a team of oxen. I realized I wanted to be an actor when I was a senior in high school. I took drama for extra credit. I auditioned for the fall play on a dare. And I did that, and I got the part, and everything changed. Everything changed. And I had these big, fat, honking stars in front of my eyeballs. But I didn't want to be rich. I didn't want to be famous. I still don't want to be rich, and I still don't want to be famous. It's almost not worth it. I wanted to be a working Shakespearean actor. That's all I wanted. I wanted to live in New York City, and I wanted to do Shakespeare. That's all I wanted. No more, no less. That was my definition of success. But the fact that I didn't know anything about anything, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I moved to New York City, I wait tables, and then I take acting classes, and then I will just magically get discovered. Everybody no. hopes for that, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and that's why there's so many aspiring but failed actors out there. Right. So the one thing I wish I knew in high school is that it's a business, not show business, but like it's an actual business. It's a vocation. It's a trade. And it's a B2B relationship. You don't work for your agent. And your agent doesn't work for you. You work with each other. It's a collaboration. It's a B2B business to business relationship. Once I figured that out, I started to be a lot more effective in my voiceover career. So yeah, the short answer is I just wish I knew anything about anything. <laughs> That's good. I wish I knew something in high school, too, but there's a lot Ugh, I would have changed if I could have gone back. But right? got to move forward, right? You can't look back and go, I wish I had done blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, that's all you can do. You just got to keep moving forward. What's the best voiceover advice you've ever received and the worst? I went to a voiceover conference. This is 2012 in California. One of the presenters was Mark Cashman, who we all know, who's just yeah. an amazing voice talent and a wonderful teacher. I had a few audiobooks under my belt, but one of the problems I had was that I was just reading way too fast, just way too fast. I'm a naturally fast speaker. I just like to talk. I like to talk a lot. I'll talk to anyone who wants to listen to my ridiculousness. I just love talking. And when I was doing these audiobooks, I was so concerned about doing it as quickly as possible, which is just completely counterintuitive and stupid, frankly. If for no other reason, for the longer it is, the more you get paid because you get paid by the finished hour. I uh, approached him and we had a little chat and I said, Mark, my narration is just way too fast and I'm so much in my head and this and this and this. What would you suggest? And he goes, just breathe, man. <laughs> and that changed everything. <laughs> I don't know how he meant it, but how I took it was both physical and metaphorical, like yeah. literally and figuratively. Just breathe. Breathe it in. Breathe in the story. Breathe in the characters. Take your time with it. Savor it. Enjoy it. So I, I took it on all these different levels. And while I got it intellectually, it took a while for me to still get it viscerally. And I still occasionally have to be reminded by the engineer, uh, yeah, Tom, could you do that paragraph again and slow it down? 
again, you know, but I'm a lot better than I used to be. That's good. The worst advice I ever received was that you have to have an agent and you have to be in the union to be a successful voice actor. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing about that. That's not an admonishment of agents or the union because I love my agents. I have agents. I am non-union, but I have great respect for the union and all the hard work that they've done and how through collective bargaining and fighting for the rights of us that they have created a standard for how you work, how much you get paid for to get work and all of that stuff. We all owe a debt to agents in the union. So remember before I said you need to figure out what successful looks like for you? Success as a voice actor doesn't necessarily mean you have to have an agent and you have to have the union. I track my revenue every year. And last year, 5% of my work came through agents. None came through the union. 20% came through free online casting sites, not pay-to-plays, free ones. And 75% of my work came through direct marketing. Wow. Now, did I decide that was going to be my formula? No, that's just what happened. That's just how my voiceover career has evolved. I do some commercials. I do some video games. I do some cartoons, but not enough to warrant being in SAG-AFTRA. The majority of the work that I do is non-union, e-learning. I mean, there are contracts, but that's, you know, I don't want to get too granular here. But my point is that I have a successful voiceover career. There are hundreds, if not a couple of thousand voice actors in the United States, at least, that are non-union, that don't depend on agents, that have a successful voiceover career. Now, if you want to do Pixar movies and high-end video games, you probably need an agent, you probably need to be in the union, and you probably need to move to LA. And that's fine if you have made that determination that that's what success is for you. Don't let anyone tell you what success is supposed to be. Your job is to figure out what success is for you. My definition of success, eating by talking for money. And anyone that tells you stuff like that is probably trying to sell you something. Come on back next week for part two of my interview with Tom Deere. Live with Swacky is mixed and mastered by everybody's favorite voiceover tech, Uncle Roy Yokelson of Antland Productions. Live with Swacky was recorded in a room with very little light. 